Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, entrepreneurship, and today podcasting to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Dan Granger, is the CEO and founder of Oxford Road, the leading independently owned ad agency specializing in audio channels such as podcasts, radio, streaming, and more. And they have helped countless DTC brands scale their customer acquisition efforts and grow from startup to $1 billion plus valuations. And Dan got started in the wonderful world of radio programming back at Clear Channel back in 2003. Can't believe we're still saying that. Back in back at the turn of the century, which yeah. would eventually become iHeartRadio. And he saw the internet and podcasting wave coming as early as 2006, which we'll dig into, and started forming relationships with Silicon Valley at that time. And in 2013, he launched Oxford Road to great success and has been killing it ever since. A true pioneer in the podcast advertising space. We have a lot to talk about, especially some current events. So let's do this. Let's jump in. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, So some folks that may not uh, know you, I want to start with a quote from you. Quote, the secret to career happiness is to get paid to do that thing that made you weird as a kid. So as a good host, what made you weird as a kid, Dan? I was always doing media stuff. I would, I'd write controversial editorials in our school newspaper. I had a little cable access show when I was like six or something. And, um, I was, I was doing media stuff and I like to, I like the idea of, um, using communication to change real things. You know, I, I always thought that, you know, everybody likes entertainment. We're all consumers of entertainment, right? right? But I never thought it was interesting enough that you could just end with the goal of someone being entertained. I wanted to create things that would actually have real world impact. So that was part of my bent. And I was into that stuff probably at ages that uh, it, it was abnormal to be into it. Interesting. And, and I heard that it was good old AM radio that got you thinking about the medium. Who were some of those early inspirations for you? Well, you know, what happened was I moved to L.A. Um, and I, I came to college out here and I started interning. I interned at the Late Late Show. And then I got my first job even before I graduated college for a group called Greystone Television. Now, what we were doing. You getting feedback? I'm still here. It's good. I'll I'll uh, I'll handle that in the back. Okay. Yep. So I was working on uh, History Channel documentaries, and I thought that was awesome because I've always been like a bit of a history nerd. 
And except it, I, I was getting stuck in LA traffic, driving tapes from one location to another, not learning. Good old it. LA traffic. Yeah. But you start listening, you know, in those days, you, your, your radio was everything. You only had so many presets and so many stations. You satellite radio. Yep. No. So, well, at least not, not, not that I could afford at that time. And so I clicked the AM button one day. And I started hearing people talk about things that, that were new to me, you know, being in my early 20s and getting perspectives on, you know, whether it was the the big talk radio hosts or whether it was NPR or whether it was, you know, the Salem folks. But just hearing all these different opinions and sometimes they'd actually have good faith arguments and debates. I was always way into that. I never good liked this argument a concept. What's that? What a concept, a good faith argument. A good faith argument, yeah. It's, uh, it turns out it's it's increasingly rare, um, but it always got me excited. And then I started feeling like the world I was in was moving a little too slow. And I found some people that were involved in the, in the radio business. And what I learned was, hey, if you can get somebody to buy a commercial on the radio, they'll let you write the ad and you can work with anybody that you can get to you know, buy from you, then they're your client and you get to be like a mini agency for them. And I thought, well, that's kind of a cool way to kind of blends your experience and interest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I really got into that. And I I, um, was fortunate enough to get um, Clear Channel, what's now iHeart, to give me a shot in 2003. And, you know, you could say the rest is history. I almost got fired a bunch of times my first year because I couldn't close a door. And then Uh, started bringing in business slowly but surely. And then things took off pretty quick after that. When I really tried to focus on how do you persuade somebody to take an action and really learn how do you message? How do you, how do you design a message and how do you schedule? You know, these are things. Yeah. So let's pause there for a second. And and one of the things I like to do on the show is really talk about those early career times. And and it's funny, some people are defined by them and some people, it's just a, you know, a, a, a building block on the way to their future. So if you think about, you know, you mentioned almost getting fired a couple of times, what was it, what was that key lesson, Dan, that you took away from that you, that you applied throughout the rest of your career? I already had the lesson. I just had to have the, the will to see it through, which, you know, never, never, never quit. It's uh, I I had decided that if they called me in to terminate me, that my response was going to be to say, no, thank you, not today. And to go back to my desk and keep making cold calls until I was successful. I was not willing to allow for mentally uh, the opportunity to fail. And, you know, it never came to that, just uh, some difficult conversations and then you know, some moments where they're like, okay, you know, the kid stays in the picture kind of thing where I gave him enough to go on to say, yeah, let's go a little further here. And then by my second year, it was like rocket ship growth and, you know, was able to, was able to build a pretty good reputation in that industry um, and really climb to the top of the field. Um, but you don't know that always in, when no. you're in your test period, you don't know no, if you're going to make you're, it to be mediocre or what. You don't know in the beginning, but you have faith and you, and you stuck to it. And you were a bit of a visionary, too. And, and you pitched early on, and I'd love to hear more about this, this concept of Talk Radio 2.0, a clear channel, which had to do with podcasting and intertechnologies that were you know, in the very, very, very early stages back then. But they, they didn't bite. You know, what was what was kind of the, the take on that and some advice for other entrepreneurs within an organization who are really future forward and, and seeing technology before everybody else? And even if you get the door shut in your face, 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when we talk later about the podcast movement, you know, it's so fascinating to show up and see thousands and thousands of people all gathering around this idea of podcast. And for the first five to 10 years that I was involved with it, I had to explain to people what it was over and over again, right? And they were very hard to listen to. But, you know, the what happened was, in any business, when you're looking at tech, it was easy because I was in the slow moving part of media. Audio is the last one to figure it out. Audio is always the last one to get there. And you could see what was happening with print. You could see what blogs and newsletters were doing. Digital, digital migration. Digital migration happened last on the audio side. But I knew as a salesperson trying to take an advertiser and find content that was unique to be a fit for them wasn't really possible. One of my very earliest um, wins was working with LegalZoom.com mm-hmm. and getting them to ans- um, advertise in a legal advice show. Well, that's a great fit. But then Seems you go, okay, yeah. yeah, but where are all the other legal advice shows? And there's like three weekend shows across the country on local affiliates. And it's like, right, you the inventory is limited. But so, but we had the internet, and so it's easy to make the jump to say, "Hey, look, if there's a way that people can record content about a subject that would never be successful in a local market where it was competing for share, but you could monetize based off affiliate groups and not be restricted geographically, you could really have an industry." And I, and so I think I was able to see it happening elsewhere, and just see you know follow the bouncing ball and know that it was going to happen here eventually. And Pandora came out of nowhere. And, you know, I had won our innovation award and our pinnacle award in the same year, which means they sent me to this big ceremony in New York, my first time going to New York City. And I'm like, all right, if I'm going to go meet the executives of our company, I'm just a foot soldier in one market. I'm like, I want to make it count. It's so big, man. Put together this pitch, Talk Radio 2.0, the future of streaming and podcasts and how we need to be a part of that. It's going to disrupt the spoken word, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, that's cute. You know, that's cool. But we're already working on that. Don't worry about it. You go ahead and keep doing a great job. You know, and do I blame them? No, they I had a great run with the organization and they've been very kind and massaged my ego enough to say, hey, you were right about that early on, right? So I've got no gripes. It wasn't the time in the industry. Timing is a big thing. You can be right, but you can get in too early on stuff, right? And I've done that. So many classic stories, so many big time classic stories of that. Even to even look at like Netflix, they started with uh, the funny story is they start. I mean, they started with physical DVDs and Blockbuster at the same time was going into streaming and then it wasn't the right time for either of them. And look what happened in the end. And, and so, you know, being right isn't always the thing. It's it's being in the right place with the right opportunity at the right time and being too early is a thing. I've had it happen since with different slices of the business. And sometimes we hit them at the right time and sometimes we don't. Um, but the good news is, is we hung in there long enough with this audio thing that we've been able to benefit from that, you know, commercially and to have an impact in the industry. And that's been pretty exciting. So when was it in your career? I mean, when you started the, the the thought of like building something on your own, you know, working across Silicon Valley, I mean, how did you build this while you were still full? And correct me if I'm wrong, you were still full-time employed when you started to, to put Oxford Road together, correct? Yeah, exactly. So what happened was um, my first effort was in 2006 
I saw that iHeart wasn't going to do anything with it. I'm like, well, maybe I can invest and have somebody start to work on the tech outside of it. Mm-hmm. And our youngest daughter was born. I had a one-year-old and um, and then my, my little one was born. She was born with special needs and we were in the hospital, children's hospital with her for like six months. And I just backburnered all of it. Just like couldn't focus on it. Of course. But when things started to settle, I started to look at, okay, how do I get in the game and how do I build my business to the next level? And I started doing my own personal marketing, put out a website that I started marketing just to do ads like advertising, local radio advertising sales with my own marketing around that. And I started to build a team, which we were all sharing commissions that I started offering a base, but building a team because as one individual inside of a company, I could only grow so far. And in the first three or four years, I started to hit my head. I'm like, well, how do I scale what I'm able to do? So I started hiring people and iHeart would cover the infrastructure piece and I would cover the the uh, the payment. And so we had a team that we got to incubate, which would become Oxford Road about five years later. Interesting. And we started, you know, I started making trips up to the Silicon Valley with my briefcase and my suit and tie and stuff and figuring out how they looked at the world and how they talked about things. And I was always in the performance business and that I was trying to help local companies get phone calls, but these guys were doing everything digitally and there was a language barrier. So figuring out what attribution was and figuring out how, no, actually you don't wear the suit when you talk to them. And by the way, you need to have a Mac and not a PC. Like, (laughs) Yeah, that's the biggest one. Language barrier that really helped. And then we started putting these companies on local radio and building a precedent. But then when when podcast became so so my business was growing and I was building a team and had a great run inside of iHeart and they were very flexible with me to let me try all my dumb ideas. Some of them were too early and some of them, you know, were were on point. Well, I think you've proven to that point before with the awards and the innovation that they had some faith and trust in you to build out the next big thing and they wanted to see where you're going to go with it. Yeah. And, 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 but I will say this, not everybody that sees success honors that with freedom. And these guys were really willing to back me and let me try my hand at things that weren't part of my job description and didn't say, you know, stay focused, keep your head down. They were very flexible with me. And that's why they kept me as long as they did. But at some point, what I started doing was, so Adam Carolla was doing promoting his podcast in like 2000. Innovator in the space. Yep. Big time. And uh, he was doing it on the Petros and Money Show. And they broadcast right down the hall from us, from the room that we were in. So when he finished at like seven o'clock and came off the air, I waited him out and followed him as he went to the elevator to go to leave. And I'm like, Adam, hey, we've got advertisers here on the radio. I think they'd make sense in your podcast. Can we put something together? And he's like, yeah, sure. And, you know, gives me the number. We started putting advertisers in there just to see what would happen. And the results were not comparable to anything else that they could do. It was such a beautiful time to get in. And there was so little competition. I was about to ask why. Why were those ads so effective? Was it the targeting? Was it the scarcity? First I mean, time the, the, the listeners weren't all, all, all like overcome with ads all the time. Now we have to listen to three minutes of ads before you even get to the body of a podcast these days. Yeah, for sure. You had no the all of the above. Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> all they had was like Amazon affiliate links that they're all pushing on their podcast. And you got to remember this too. 
2011, 2012, it was hard to listen to a podcast. You had to download the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. You lived your iPod originally. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, 20 default players and everybody has Spotify anyway. And you just go hit play. Like you got to work to get this, this content. <laughs> so by the distribution like this, with the RSS feed. Yeah. yeah. So think about it this way. Like, we were we had truly disruptive companies at the time it was novel that somebody would mail you razor blades to your door once a month that was a that was a revolution right everybody's got prime now we live in a different world but at that time all these new direct-to-consumer brands were coming out of the woodwork and you had these consumers that were consuming media in a difficult but new way and then they had self-selected as wanting to do things differently so when we brought them a new offering it was a match made in heaven, plus no competition, high salience. The ad could be four minutes long and you didn't have uh, seven other ads in an hour to compete with. So it was a lot of that. Groundbreaking. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is like I was concerned about violating my employment agreement and doing right by the people that, you know, that, that paid my my bills. So what I did was I got their permission to get referral fees. And I actually had mm. talent writing checks to my consultancy on the there side. We didn't have an agency. And we set up this network of like 50 different groups that were sending us checks as commissions out of the business that they would do directly with the advertisers. So stayed compliant with our agreements. But it's, at some point, that started e- totaling out to more than it had we were able to earn from t- 10 years of selling radio spots and so never had to borrow money never had to live out of my car we all got to hit the ground running Love and it. we had revenue from day one that's that's incredible hey everybody first i'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast this show was my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting entrepreneurship and leadership and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B, a B2C, it's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. Let's move to current day and let's talk about the current state of podcasting and media and let's talk current events right now. You just returned from from podcast movement um, and you had some thoughts about how they handle the, a situation with Ben Shapiro, who folks are, are not familiar. If you could just bring us up to speed. Tell us who, who Ben Shapiro is and kind of what's his agenda and what, and what happened. Ben Shapiro is a conservative podcast host, also radio host. Um, He is, uh, I would say on the cerebral side, um, he has, um, he's probably the most successful at what he does, at least in the new media landscape. He's got the leading uh, uh, podcast in terms of downloads and reach. He's somebody that I have worked with for over a decade and I've known him and we've collaborated and we've had discussions and found areas where we agree on things and we found areas where we disagree including you know where we're going as an industry um so i have respect for ben 
And I am, you know, one of the things that I've been very caught up in in the last few years is trying to navigate what brands are being told they need to do, what they want to do, and what they actually ought to do, and trying to help them navigate that. And what happened at Podcast Movement was he showed up and the the movement actually apologized for the harm done by his presence on Twitter. And that's exactly what they said, harm done by his presence. Now, I saw him when he was there. We said hi to each other. He was probably there for five minutes, walked the floor, took a couple pictures at the booth that they paid for and left. He didn't get in a fight with anybody. He didn't take the stage. He just came. He wasn't even a speaker. He wasn't no. even a speaker getting media coverage. No. And I'm like, we're apologizing for this? Jeez. So, you know, I I saw that and I was I was taken aback. I had just spoken the day before. I was literally leaving the event and somebody texted this to me and said, can you believe this? And I looked and I'm like, okay, I got to say something about it. This is, you know, this is not okay. This is not okay. If we, if we are as an industry are coming together and saying, let's collaborate and let's celebrate how much progress we've made as an industry, except for you, except for you, because your thoughts are dangerous. They're harmful because you think them and because you say them. And now we're going to quote unquote, live with the pain that we've caused forever because you made the wrong selection about who you were going to offer booth space to. I mean, it Jeez. just, it's, it's not a good sign for where we're trying to go. And I think for those of us that have been here for a while, we didn't just come into this because we said, you know, cost benefit analysis, business opportunity. A lot of us have real passion for this in addition to commercial desires. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And it flies in the face of everything we thought we were doing here for many of us. And as somebody that is in the business, operating in, in relationship with people across the political spectrum, uh, the decency spectrum, across all spectrums, right? We deal with a lot of different people. Of and to, to decide as a community that we're going to become fully intolerant because of views that are held by half the country, that's not sustainable and it's not- No way. I think we can stand by and address. And, you know, I've been on this, I've been on this kick just with my own podcast for the last couple of years. Our agency's been in the middle of it. And, you know, my belief is that when everybody's so confused and afraid, let's, let's kind of move toward the, the problem rather than away from it. And so we've leaned in and tried to find and articulate solutions that advertisers can use and that the community can use to navigate the complexity of our differences. But um, that's not what they were doing. And it was virtually, it was, it was diametrically opposed to the message that I had brought to their community for the last two years as a speaker. So, um, so that's, that's some of what happened. So where, so where do you think the fallout's going to be? And how, is this going to cause a ripple effect in the industry? Or can we nip this in the butt here and course correct and, and, and stay the path? I hope we can course correct. I hope that the executives of podcast movement look at this and say, you know, we got to think before we tweet. We got to figure out what it is we believe here. And we got to tell everybody what that is. You can go to their website or at least how it existed last week when they posted this. There was no indication of certain types of podcasters being acceptable and certain being unacceptable. If they want to play that game, they're free to do it. 
but they should make that clear. And if not, they need, to, they need to tighten up their practices. And I think, um, I think retract what they said. So we're going to see how they react. I've reached out to them directly to have communication about this. I have not heard back. Comments have been shut down. I've not seen anything come out yet. That doesn't mean that things haven't come out. I just haven't found their response other than standing behind what they tweeted on Thursday. Yeah. And if they don't, I think that you're going to see a real strong demand for an alternative because right now they've been the primary um, consortium. They've been the primary group of people representing the podcast community coming together. And I think there's going to be a big reaction to that if they don't figure it out. Yeah. Interesting. So, so we talk about, you know, podcast networks and we talk about responsibilities as an independent podcaster too, but you also spoke about something earlier when we were chatting about this concept of almost like a, a nutrition label on, on a podcast. So advertisers and audience could understand what they're getting themselves into almost like, I mean, is it like a rating system? Is it like this leans one way or another? Who's deciding it? Who's, who's putting this label on it? Um, I, I believe, cause I've been thinking about it since you mentioned it um, about 20 minutes ago, what does that look like in execution? In the real world. Yeah. All right. So here's the deal. Bit of background. Uh, to, to 2020, we start seeing a change in the advertising community. And people are now giving us no news sponsorship dictates. They're giving us no conservative dictates. And they're canceling shows without a specific cause, but truly by association. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now... We take this and say, well, we can give the people what they want. It's their money. They get to decide these types of parameters. But there's something that's not healthy here. There's something that's not healthy. And we're in the business of brokering relationships. If somebody that we bring to you as a creator, you know, you go and you use their product. You get on the phone with their executives. You find out what it's all about and you recommend them and put your trust that you've built with your audience into recommending this product or service to your audience. That means something. And people want to dial it down yeah. like search camp. Yeah, there's trust that's been exchanged. There is a transfer of trust that has been imputed from you to the audience about this brand. And so when an advertiser just reacts because you're trending on Twitter tomorrow and what you said may or may not have been acceptable, but it wasn't perceived that way or something that you did or something that somebody said that you did, there's no due process. That's a problem. That's a problem. But we all, so, so what we started doing is we, we started this podcast called the media Roundtable, and We talked to everybody. We talked to network executives. We talked to people in tech, we talked to big podcasters. We talked to journalists. We had, you know, David French, Barry Weiss, Ben Smith, uh, you know, and Newt Gingrich, uh, Bob right. Garfield, so people all over the, the map in terms of what they thought and just tried to understand how did we get so divided and what's media doing to, to make it worse or make it better? That's how, where we started, just asking questions and trying to learn and setting aside. Yeah. Well, you know what? What, what I started to understand, and we also sort of work with the National Institute for Civil Discourse, and, and that taught us a lot. One of the things is that, you know, I don't think an answer is to say, screw cancel culture, ignore cancel culture, right? Which is the easy thing to do is just dismiss it. Because at the end of the day, we all have limits on what we'll support, whether that's with our listening or our advocacy or our sponsorship, right. we're all willing to say, no, that's too far, even though we believe in free speech. 
The question is where are those lines and how do we enforce them? Well, there are some people that are already in the business of, of helping discern what type of media is out there with the idea of being objective about it. Now, let me tell you something. If Sleeping Giants calls you out or one of these third parties that has a political agenda and their job is to attack Tucker Carlson for a living, that's fine. That's their business, but that's not objective. Okay, so you have to start by just looking for people that are trying to call bullshit on the media industry from a neutral position and say, how do you define neutral, though? Neutral, neutral, subjective. All of it's subjective, but we do the best we can. We have to make decisions anyway. And do you say, look, all speech should be sponsored or do you just say we're going to do sweeping judgments of certain types of speech? We're trying to get to nuance and it's not an easy thing to do. We met with Adfantes Media. They have the media bias chart. Go look at the media bias chart. You're going to disagree with it. You're going to find logos on there that you go, that shouldn't be coded that way. That's not right. I don't buy any of it. Right. That's that's people's reaction. But at the end of the day, if you actually dig in and look at it, you're going to go, hey, you know what? It's, it's, it's the best we've got that human beings who have identified as being left, you right. Have to, and you have to go with something. Huh? You have to find something to go with. You need a starting you have point. To find you need something. Yeah. So, so, um, so our thesis is that we need nutrition labels because we're looking for an opportunity for this to improve itself. And it's not coming. The government's not going to fix this. And I haven't seen platforms do a great job either. But if the people that are buying it can have a tool that helps discern where you're at on the political spectrum, where you're at on the reliability spectrum, and then actually gets, that's the Advantes solution. What we just introduced this year with our our other partner, Barometer. Barometer actually uses AI and does sentiment analysis to take context into account. I was about to say sentiment analysis. Mm -hmm. What's that? Well, sentiment sentiment analysis is interesting because what's your your control group? You know, who, who are those people made up of that's deciding it? On the sentiment analysis? Correct. What is the sentiment coming from? Right. Like, like, is is it it based on surveys? No, 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 no. Real time feedback. No, no, no. So, so there's two primary things you need to understand. One, there are the the, the metrics that are being measured with barometer and barometer is the big new development. So, um, there's a group called GARM, uh, global advertisers for responsible media. Right. And that's, they're connected to the World Federation of Advertisers. The, the who's who all got together got and basically said, hey, look, here's the brand safety and suitability framework and floor. And they came up with these like 11 criteria, violence, sensitive social issues, uh, you know, uh, 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 terrorism, uh, drug use, things like that. Right. And it's basically they came up with definitions for all of them. And then there's four buckets. There's no risk, low risk, medium risk, high risk. Well, you can actually take those definitions and you can train a model to automatically got it things with context into those. So now we have risk profiles based on what the industry standard third party has said. This is how things should be defined. And now you have ability to look at the risk associated with different types of content. And then there are secondary tools like the Adfantes media bias chart, which we worked with them to launch specifically into podcasts. So we take podcasts and the, 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 the 
AI version with barometer is actually using the transcripts of the show. Got it. With Ad Fontes, they have human panels of human beings that are ident- self-identifying on different sides of the spectrum, but they have to have agreement and they go down definitions and they listen and they, they make recommendations from that. Now, none of this is perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than throwing out a whole genre because you're afraid of saying, of, of getting behind something that might be controversial. And I do think there should be some level of accountability on creators or else everybody's Alex Jones and there's no ramification. The big problem we have and one of the big problems we have right now with the proliferation of digital content and everybody can user generated content can get to everyone is that there are no standards and the attention economy drives us to create things that are going to make the most noise and yeah, polarizing correlation how harmful it is right so like what do we do with food what do we do with consumer packaged goods we come up with criteria and we try to make it as have to have some standards yeah. yeah so that's what we're trying to do and yeah. i think it's a compromise solution and a lot of people aren't going to like it because who wants to get graded on anything but at the end of the day i think we need something and I don't think we need to tell people you can't be on this platform or you can't be at this convention. I don't believe in, you know, blacklists, frankly. I think it's about understanding what's going on and going, is this a fit for my brand? Is this not a fit for my brand? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you you sharing that insight and knowledge, especially to me. That's not something I was fully knowledgeable about. And it's really interesting as a podcaster to get a, a good idea of what's happening in the industry. Um, so where do you think, you know, what do you think is going to be the most unexpected change? And if you're looking at your crystal ball, then in the next 10 years, where, where do you see the industry going? What's something unexpected that we may not be seeing coming down the pipe? I mean... I think that more, more Joe Rogan type contracts. I mean, yeah, it's getting more mainstream. Yeah. I mean, look, what a podcast is, it's, it's words, right? And we, we haven't quite, I think, come to grips with the fact that for a lot of us, it's just a newsletter, right? When, when you can have 16 podcasts about a TV show, like it's just somebody's blog, right? And that's, and maybe that blog is successful enough that it makes sense to put ads behind it. And maybe it's not worth the cost of the paper that you got to do the contract on, but you got a long tail and things like barometer are going to be necessary. You're going to need tech to make the long tail useful to people because most of the content that's created is not large enough to be worth the necessary consideration. Okay. So you're going to see kind of two worlds. You're going to have the, like I think more of like the the studio system, you know, where you've got the big hits and they've got the promotional machines behind them. Then you got indies that never sold out and there's going to be a couple of them left and they'll be successful. And then you got the long tail, which is basically WordPress. Like it is what it is. And the advertisers are going to proceed with caution and performance marketers will be a little more lax in what they sponsor and big brands are going to stay with the safe stuff and they're going to want, you know, whatever Ryan Seacrest is putting his name on. (laughs) But, But the big thing, you know, from a tech standpoint that I see coming is dynamic audio. The idea that we're going to navigate it with our voices and you're going to be able to choose your own adventure. If somebody's listening to me and they go, 
you know, first of all, play two and a half speed because he talks too slow. And then they're going to go, actually, can you give him a British accent? That'd be better. Oh, and by the way, can I get the 10 minute version of this? And then I yep. want more podcasts on the same subject because <laughs> I want to know, has anybody talked about nutrition labels and podcasts? I want to know what's happening there, right? So choose your own adventure, dynamic audio. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. I dig I it. Dig That's it. pretty cool. How about an ad that gives you a teaser and you've got a second to go, you want to know more? You know, and now you're having a conversation with them about the product or service rather than having to sit for a 460, right? I don't think I don't think that's too far off. I mean, full integration with like Siri and Alexa, you know, the the elements of the technology are already there from the listening and, and conditional content perspective there. Um, just to give people a sense, you are an expert in audio advertising. Is there a best type of show when I mean, listen, like if I'm thinking about my show, like um, what what's kind of that magic sauce of, of matching a great product with a show at the end of the day everybody's pushing for dynamic insertion everybody's pushing for efficiency and economies of scale and they should be but the less efficient thing is the thing that works the best the less efficient thing is that i want to know what you eat for breakfast and i want you to tell us about that and I want you to give me specific examples and I don't want it to sound too scripted. Now, everything a brand marketer wants is not in that equation, right? Advertorial. But, you know, one of my, one of my you know, shticks is I, I say save the live reads, right? Because that's the magic. It's the relationship. It's the organic nature of it. It's the fact that, you know, we still have this pirate radio thing where you and I don't have to be part of the big factory we can have rooms in our offices and have conversations about this stuff and reach anybody with it like we can't lose that magic and that's what advertisers need if you need it to work if you want reach don't worry there's a true crime series it's going to reach millions you're going to love yep. it my, but my if favorite you want product what do you like that's what yeah. my, my favorite is just to go off on a tangent for a moment so i i worked at i worked at sirius xm 2006 to 2011 the heyday of howard stern when he came over there i grew up with howard howard's my influence as a podcaster and everything and i always laugh because he laughs when he does his live reads because some of them are so ridiculous at this point where he's just having his whole conversation doing his interviews next thing you know he's talking about penis pills and mattresses and all these crazy things and you can hear it in his voice that it just doesn't seem like he sounds like an old school radio host just reading the yes. ads feeling yeah he lost he lost that love and feeling so dan let's let's bring it let's bring it home here a couple of questions what podcast do you listen to regularly oh shit besides podcast um <laughs> in the media roundtable let me think um well a lot of the people i've had the chance to interview are kind of in my lane of what i think is important right now so um you know barry weiss i think is doing some good work um, and her show, Honestly Pod, I think is an important one. Um, I look, anything that is history, I dig. But I think the people that are kind of calling bullshit on culture and media right now are my favorite ones. And, you know, you've got, uh, gosh, I could go on and on. If I want to have fun, I'll listen to Smartless. Um, but, but truly, I think the dispatch is doing good work. Um, I think that, uh, uh, Bridget Phetasy is an interesting person to pay attention to. Um, I think that, uh, there's, there is a movement of people that are not far right and not far left that say, Hey, how would you like some news that isn't dripping with bias? 
and actually helps you understand different perspectives on an issue. And how about we start turning the tide on media that was built to exploit the people that are doing that kind of work are the ones that I pay the most attention to. And I listen as often as I can. Good stuff there. So Dan, let's bring, let's bring it home. Um, What is the single greatest piece of advice you ever received that you take action on every day? Your mantra, something that you just, you know, got it tattooed clearly across your chest. I don't know where this came from for me, but I think that everybody wants a magic eight ball. They want to, they want something they can hold in their hand and you shake it and it tells you one answer to a problem. And I think for me, the thing that helps is looking at things like pie charts. You know, why, why am I here right now? Am I building the Oxford road brand? Am I pushing barometer as a solution? As it my ego? What, what, what's in it for me? Well, how about all of the above? And how about we don't just assume that people are one motive for why they do anything and that there can't be a number of unique reasons why everybody does everything and that there's a lot of gray in the world. And if you can hold in both of your hands two sides of a story, you don't have to get so caught up going, that's not the right one. You're the wrong, you know, it, not everything's right, wrong. Not everything's black and white. Some of this stuff, you can have multiple reasons for doing something. Sometimes, you know, are people good or are they bad? Well, there are a bunch of different things. We're all a composite. And if you can see things that way, I think you can connect with people in new ways. And I think you can suspend a lot of the judgment and a lot of the wishful thinking that there's a silver bullet for anything, because there's usually not. There's a myriad of solutions. And no. want to I think that's helped me. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and last but not least, you know, we, we, we could tell from the last, you know, 39 minutes and 42 seconds that you have quite the passion for this industry. What folks don't know is that you have a secret passion for writing fortune cookies and you decide to give it all up, Dan. And now you're the head writer at the fortune cookie factory. What is that first fortune that you're writing? Short and sweet. It's only can fit on a fortune. He's thinking for everyone listening at home here. He's pondering because he doesn't usually get questions like this and he wants it to be impactful. One, you know, this is why I don't tweet. This is why I podcast. This is why. Because <laughs> brevity is not in our, voca- in, in our, in our. I'm not into the whole brevity thing. Let me just yeah. say that. But uh, look, um, uh, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. That and might fit control what you can and let go of the rest right it's uh, i think those are some important ones humility and all things to the extent that you can pull it off there you go and what are your lucky numbers on the back oh shit um, <laughs> I'll, I'll spare you i'll spare numbers. 12 14 is a lucky number for me it's my birthday right now whenever the score is 12 to 14 when i play ping pong i usually win the points so maybe there's well some- well, there, there you have it. Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining. I want everyone to check out the Media Roundtable. Um, I will link that up in the show notes. I want everyone else to check out OxfordRoad.com. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Well, OxfordRoad.com is the right place to start. Wherever you get your podcasts, listen to the Media Roundtable. Find a guest you think is interesting and start there. 
find the starting point. Awesome. Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining me and everyone listening at home. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, sharing means caring. It goes a long way. Same thing with a review. It helps. It certainly does. You know, we can find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the socials. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another good episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>